right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I want to congratulate uh, Chris and Vince once again for their uh, courageous decision. It's a great way to start our service, uh, seeing more men turning over their lives to Jesus so he can take over. And now that's uh, two at uh, Mountain View High School, right, Lucy? Northview, Northview, Northview. Sorry. But, uh, you know, it, it's amazing to see God work. I also want to have a shout out to the, all the women in the house, the sisters in the house, to congratulate you on a tremendous victory last week at the women's retreat. Heard uh, amazing things. And, and you know, the, there was no there was no ghosts. There, there was no uh, the boat didn't sink. It, it was a tremendous success. So uh, next year, if any one of those things uh, affected you, you know, do, do not fear. God is in control. Uh, but today, if you're here visiting with us, it's great to have you. And uh, we, we hope that this, this service, every part of it from beginning to end and the interactions can be something that can really help you uh, know that God loves you, know that God is with you and wants to help you and bless your life. Uh, it's a lot of times what people have to get in their, their head and their heart is that, hey, God wants to help me out. Uh, I've been the one pushing him away, not him uh, with, with me. So today we're, uh, we're concluding uh, a series that we've been doing for a number of weeks. It's called Recovery Road. And it's the final, you're coming in at the end of the movie. So if you'd like to see the rest of the movie, you can go to our website and, and watch the other uh, lessons that we've done uh, over the last uh, five weeks. Uh, and, and so it's uh, incredible things. So we're wrapping it up today, wrapping up recovery. And uh, the reason why we decided to talk about this uh, weeks ago, months ago, is you know, whenever our society is dealing with something that Scripture talks very clearly about, uh, we have to talk about it as a church. We, we have to deal with it. Uh, and we have to bring it up. And uh, that's, that's our whole thing. And, and so if you want to go back and there's the, the website uh, address if you want to go back and listen to the rest of the, the lessons. Uh, but one of the things that we talked about is recovery begins with we, not they. This isn't about pointing the fingers and getting into the, the whole thing with, with politics. When they ask Jesus, so Jesus, are you far right or are you far left? You know, they always tried to pull him into the political discussion. Which one are you, far right, far left? And he said, I'm neither, I'm far out. And, and he wouldn't get caught up in all that discussion. He really wanted to help us deal with where we stand with God. And if we deal with that, and if we'll follow his teaching, it can help our nation recover. Believe it or not, God has the answers how to help our nation recover from this economic crisis. Because the money's got our attention, but it's really not about the money. It's about our hearts and what we've allowed to happen. And we believe that if the church of Jesus Christ all over this country... If we come together and focus on Jesus' teaching and follow Jesus' teaching, it could change our nation. I hope you believe that. Don't underestimate what a few people can do when it comes to changing the world. And, uh, you know, one of the things in this change, if, if we get the opportunity to change, you know, we can make a difference in our nation. And guess what? We can give God the glory. We talked about this a couple of weeks. Our nation has a reluctance to give God the credit and the glory for the things that he's done. 
Have you ever noticed that? How, you know, people in, in public figures, they don't really want to come out and say it, you know, or they'll just kind of brush it, brush it by. But we get a chance to do that. And we can be a part of lifting our nation into a recovery and give him the glory and say, you know what? It's not me. It's not us. It's God. It's what he's done and how he's changed us. And, and the focus today is Jesus's teaching on how we can live. We're, today we're going to focus on Jesus and what he taught about how to manage what we've been given, all these privileges. We talked about this a couple of weeks also that, you know, we live in a, in a country that is the most blessed in history as far as possessions, conveniences, health, wealth. There's never been a country like the United States of America in the history of, you, of humanity. But what are we doing with all those blessings? That's the big question. And Jesus wants to address that today. So we're going to do a little Bible history today. And we're going to go look at uh, Jesus. If you have your Bible, you can turn. The, the scriptures will be on the screen. But if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, we're going to open it up to Mark chapter 10. And this is, this is Jesus. He was entering the city of Jerusalem for the last time. One of the last times. It was probably the last time. And he and his disciples were more popular than ever. They were like rock stars. When they rolled into town, particularly near this event, it was a big deal. Because Jesus was healing people. He was doing amazing things. No one had ever seen, heard anything like Jesus before. And so him and his apostles, they had all this attention. There were literally thousands and thousands of people that wanted to see and hear and touch and be there with Jesus. And so if you couldn't be with Jesus, it was really nice to be with maybe somebody who he was with. And that was his followers, his apostles. And, uh, you know, probably they wanted if they'd had things like that and say, hey, can you autograph my rock? Can you autograph my my tablet? You know, I've got this this scroll here. Can you autograph my scroll? You know, they didn't have like the little notebooks, but maybe maybe that was the way it was. But, you know, with all this hype, all this popularity. Jesus had to give his disciples a dose of reality. And that's what we're going to pick up on. Because, you know, these guys were thinking that this is going to be big. Jesus is going to be the king. He's the Messiah. You know, Israel's going to be lifted up again to be a prominent nation. And Jesus is going to be the king. So guess what? If we're the 12, where's that going to put us? And they were excited. You know, they were ready to go. They were thinking, okay, we're going to be second in line, third in line, fourth in line to the king. Because they were with Jesus. But he had to stop and say, Guys, listen, this isn't going to end the way you think it is. This isn't going to go down the way you think it's going to go down. And that's where we're picking this up. In Mark chapter 10, and we're going to pick it up in verse 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. While those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. You guys think I'm going to be elevated? Let me break it down for you. What's going to happen with me? In verse 33, he says, we're going up to Jerusalem. 
And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and he will and they will hang him, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So, you know, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they really weren't listening? You know, you can, you can break it down for them and they just don't, they're not listening. They're thinking, and that's what was happening with Jesus' disciples. I mean, he's pouring out his heart. He's going to face this. This is what he's going to go through. This is what he's going to face. And yet, it just right over the disciples' head. They didn't get it. Here's why. We look at what, what Jesus is saying here. He goes on to say, James and John, they pull him aside. And basically it started out like this. You know, Jesus, we're really sorry. We're really sorry that this is going to happen to you. Could I get some help from the back, please? Thank you, Clay. Sometimes I like to pitch technology across the room, but it wouldn't be good. Thank you. James and John's request. You know, Jesus, we're really sorry about the mocking, the spitting, the flogging. But can we ask you a question? And this was extremely insensitive. And this really shows you that they, they don't get it. They're thinking, hey, we want to be in power right next to you in glory. And, and we read this, and the other apostles, they hear about it, and they're incensed, they're indignant with, with, they're indignant with, with James and John because they see, Je- they see James and John, James and John are trying to take the inside lane on being right and left to Jesus. Because they basically requested to Jesus later on in these verses, hey, we want to be the, your guys. We want to be at your right. We want to be at your left. And what does that tell you? Were they listening to what Jesus was saying? Or are they still thinking about, hey, we want to be in power. We want to be in your glory. And the, over, the other disciples, probably Peter, the one, he overheard what they were saying and said, wait a minute, you can't do this. What about us? We deserve to be just as much in line for power as you do. Right? Now, you know what I appreciate about the Bible? The Bible tells you the straight up truth. Well, what are men like? What are men after? Power. They want to be in power. And, you know, it's an incredible ministry what Jesus was doing. But the, the, the truth of the matter is, these guys, they did have some, some ideas of their own of what they wanted to do. So Jesus says, wait a second. You guys are heated. You guys are upset. Let's, we need to have a meeting. He pulls the whole group off to the side. Let's go over here by this tree and let's sit down. I need to talk with you guys. I have talked with you about this before, but I need to bring it up again. And so then he goes into this line of his leadership model, how Jesus was going to lead and how he wanted them to lead. What it means to have power in Jesus's ministry. And we read here in chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? 
and their high officials exercise authority. You know how those Gentiles leaders, how they like to elevate themselves and then they have their subjects and they're going to tell them what to do. And they have all these people around them, their entourage, and they can tell them what to do. And they exploit power. They rule over people. You know how they do it? And then the disciples go, yeah, that's exactly why we're with you. We want that. Why do you think we've been hanging around with you, Jesus? Because we want to be in power. We want to be these guys. And then Jesus says here in this very next verse, in chapter 10, verse 43, not so with you. You know how they do it? You know how the kings and they have all their subjects and people kneel to them and people, people uh, revere them and, and they exploit, they, they take in their leadership model, they take, it's all about them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus has changed, saying to the, to the disciples, listen, if you guys ever get the opportunity to be up here, if you ever get authority, if you ever get power, if you ever get entitlement, you know what I want you to do with that? I want you to use your power to help other people, to serve. Don't do it like the Gentiles do it. Don't do it like the military leaders do, where they just they, they, they grind people down. And they rule and they exploit and they take advantage. Not so with you. I want you to do things differently. And so what's he saying here? It's okay to desire greatness. He didn't want to stifle their ambition to be great. But when you get there, don't be like everyone else. Don't do it as they do it. It's, 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 it's fine to be in charge. It's fine to have authority. But you can't do it like they do it. And if you guys acquire the, the power and the opportunity, which they were, make sure that you lead differently than the world does. Do not do it as they do it. Changing gears here a little bit, this present generation... People have gathered together and tried to come up. You know, they always do this with different generations. You know, years back they called Generation Next. You know, this generation, they've, people have come together and they've kind of tried to find a word that would describe this generation. You know, the 18 to 30-year-olds? And the word that people have come up with is this word. Entitled. Entitled. So, whoa. Especially the young people in the house are like, whoa. Parents in their house going, you know what? I've been thinking about that. And that's it. That's exactly what it is. I knew there was something. That's exactly what the problem is. They feel entitled. And and what do we mean by that? They think, these people, these young people think that everything is owed to them. 
you know, with their parents, with their people around them. Hey, you owe me. I got it coming. You know, with the newest, the latest, the shiniest, no matter how much it costs, no matter how much their parents make, it doesn't matter. I got it coming. Right? You heard that? Parents are like, yeah, yeah, welcome to my world. And the, and the, and the young people in the house are like, no way. That's not, that's not at all how it is. And another thing is if their friends have one, they, they feel entitled. I got to have one too, you know. Hey, Johnny's got an iPhone. Okay? The latest and greatest, the five, you know. I, I got to have that. You know, doesn't matter if it costs a hundred dollars a month for the plan. It doesn't. I, I I get that. I need that. But I got news for you, and I want to take the young people off the hook. Okay, they're like, man, it's not just the young people. It's my conviction. It's a lot of people's conviction. If you step back and look, it's not just the eighteen to thirty-year-olds. Guess who else? All of us. This whole nation struggles with this mentality of entitlement. This is the best description of our nation. We feel entitled. We feel like it's it's us. You know that that's we should get this. You know, and, and this word entitled. It's kind of like an Easter egg hunt. You know, if you don't really get I could read a definition of the word entitled, but that doesn't really get it. It's kind of like an Easter egg hunt. You never been to an Easter egg hunt? And they got they got three sets of people. They got the big kids, medium sized kids and then the little kids. Right. The ones that walk around like this, you know, the little kids. And they, it's all dressed nice and shiny. And the parents of the little kids, they look at the big kids and they get a little nervous. They look out in the field. And there's all these eggs. And then they, they cut the tape or they 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 say go or they sound the alarm or they, they and then all the kids, they run out and the big kids are stronger and faster. They're running out and they're just scooping up all the eggs. They got these big baskets and they're filling up their basket. The medium kids are getting the leftovers. And then you got the toddlers and they're just kind of cruising along. And and the big kids, they're they're. Their, their baskets are overflowing with eggs, right? And then, then the medium-sized kids, they're just, you know, get, grabbing a few of their half-full baskets. And then you got the little teeny-weeny kids, and they're just barely keeping up. And there's an egg, and they're reaching for the egg. And then, boom, a medium-sized kid just knocks them over and grabs the egg. And then the little kid falls down, and he's crying on the ground. And mom and dad come running out, and they're like, this isn't right. What's happening? They're mad at the big kids. And the big kids are like, yeah. You know, I got my eggs, and I found all these eggs, and I'm the man, you know. And, or I'm the girl, and all this stuff. And, and the medium-sized kids, you know, they're, they're looking at the big kids. And like, yeah, but, but I got some. I'm not like those little kids. And then the parents go to the organizers of the Easter egg and say, this is not fair. You know, we shouldn't have done this. We deserve eggs. We're members of this church. We're members of this club. And, and everybody should get the same. And, and why is this happening? That's an entitlement war. Maybe you don't get that one. Black Friday. It's like Black Friday. You know, you know, Black Friday, Thursday night, midnight, there's 600 ladies. They're all packed out there in front of the store and, and they're, they're so packed together. Their, their faces are pushed up against the glass of door and the windows. And there's 20 blouses, 600 women, right? 
They've been waiting there for hours. They skipped out a dessert on Thanksgiving just to be there online. Right? And they're there and they're waiting and the doors open and it's crazy. Women are stepping on each other and it's like a riot. And then the women who get the blouses, they grab the blouses and they're holding on the blouses. And they go to the cash register and they're holding them there. Yeah, I got the blouse. And then all the other ones are saying, wait a second. It's not fair. We've been here for five hours. How come we didn't get our blouse? And, and they go to the store manager and they say, this isn't fair. How come they get it? We've been here. And entitlement wars. All right. Or maybe you don't get that one. Guys. Guys, you know, on, on Black Friday or, or Thursday night, you know, they got those LCD screen TVs, right? 50 TVs, 50 inch, $200. They only got 50 and there's 600 guys punching each other at the door. I was here forced and, and the doors open and there's pepper spray and it's, it's out of control, right? They're fighting, and then the guys that get the TVs are like, yeah, I was here first. I earned this. I, I, I conquered. Right? And what happens? The other guys are like, hey, we were here. This isn't fair. That's all I got. <laughs> if you don't get it, I, I can't help you. That's entitlement. And could you imagine Jesus coming on the scene, Black Friday? Because, see, it's all leading up to Christmas, right? He's like, what? This is about Christmas and you guys are fighting over, you women are fighting over blouses? Really? And all the women say, yeah, Jesus, we'll, we'll tell him it's not fair. Tell him everybody. And so Jesus, he might get the dress and say, okay, you think it's fair? Well, let's just cut the blouse in half and you get half and you get half. Or Jesus with, with the guys and the TVs and people come to him, hey, can you mediate here, Jesus? Can you tell who gets what? You know, maybe, maybe. And then the weirdest thing of all, imagine Jesus showing up at an Easter egg hunt. Right? I raised from the dead and you guys are fighting over an Easter egg hunt. I mean, what is this eggs in, in East? What is that? Is this what it's come to? Really? Fighting over Easter eggs when it should be about the resurrection. Do you even know what that means? Right? And everybody would want to know, hey, Jesus, figure it out. Tell us who, you know, maybe maybe with the Easter eggs, you go with the, you know, maybe the, the Santa Claus version. You go, who's been naughty? Who's been nice? Whoever's been naughty gets no eggs. Who's been nice gets eggs. They, they'd all, they, they did this when Jesus walked the earth. The New Testament models this for us. Who gets what? And what did Jesus do when he was asked? Should we pay taxes? Who should get the inheritance? What did Jesus say? I'm not here to decide between the two of you who gets what. But once you decide, you guys can take a vote. You can do a survey. You can do whatever you want. Once you decide, after you've decided what's fair, then invite me into the discussion. 
Then have me come in. And this is what I'll tell them. The question is not what you're entitled to. But what you will do with what you're entitled to. After you guys figure out who gets what and what's fair. Then let's talk about what are you going to do with what you get. What you have. What you've received. That's the big question. Are you with me? This is what Jesus would have addressed. And then have me into the discussion. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you can pick and choose today what you want to accept. You can pick and choose if you're going to buy into this or buy into that. But if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, this message is for you. If we get this right, if we adopt what Jesus is going to show us and what he's already taught earlier, but what he's going to show us really, really clearly, this could change our country. This could change not only our country, it could change the reputation of the church at a national level if we get this right. Not only could it change that, it could change the world. This is how Christians of the first through the third centuries toppled the Roman Empire. They had no army. They had no people in power and politics. But their life, the way that they lived, convinced the Roman Empire that Christianity is so much better. It's so right compared to paganism. All these other religions that they were bouncing around and, and shifting from place to place. Christianity became the clear answer, the clear truth. Because of the way that they lived. And they adopted Christianity as the national religion in the third century. That's the power of what we're going to talk about today. That's what Christianity can do. And Jesus modeled this for us in his own life. And we're going to take another visit just a, just a day later from what we just saw the night before Jesus was arrested. The apostles came together for a special meal. And it was called the Passover. It was a Jewish feast that they celebrated every year to remember how God saved Israel from slavery in Egypt and set them free. And it was a little bit of an eerie night. When they celebrated the Passover, because if you can imagine the story, it's not something you sit down with little kids and tell them the angel of death went through the city of Egypt and killed all the firstborn. But the those of us who had the blood of the lamb across the doorframe of our house were spared. God had mercy on us. So it was a little eerie when they celebrated Passover. There was a lot of gratitude. So it was a special time that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. So we pick it up here in John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, 
son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power. And that He had come from God and was returning to God. You know, this this verse really describes that Jesus, He had like an epiphany. He had like a, a moment where He understood, He realized I am the most powerful man in this city. I am the most powerful man in this country. I am the most powerful man in this world. I have all the power and all authority in this universe under my control. And the big question is, what's your next move? What's your next move when you realize you've been entitled with all power and authority? What's your next move? When you get that big promotion, when you get that one-of-a-lifetime opportunity, when, when everything's working for you, you get promoted, you get lifted up, what do you do? And Jesus is going to model it for us. He understood I have all power and authority. And I can't even describe for you what it must have felt like in the room at this moment. We can read it, but it doesn't do its justice. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Here you are with the highest title that can be given to any man in the universe. What do you do with that? You disrobe yourself. And I'm sure the disciples, they didn't know what was happening. They said, like, feeling bad. Maybe I should do this. Maybe we should have hired someone to do this. Yeah, we didn't go through the process. It's a formality. We should have washed our feet. Someone should have done this. And they felt awkward. Maybe one of them wanted to get up and help Jesus. But here's Jesus taking on the position of a slave. And this outer cloak that he took off was... You know, the cloak that he wore because people identified him as a rabbi, as a teacher. So it was clear that he was somebody of, you know, of, of, you know, of level, of of, a professor, a teacher of the scriptures. He was respected. So when he took that off, he's removing that. This is how, this is what your Savior did when he knew. That all power, all authority, all titles were given to him. This is what he did. How does that make you feel about your Savior, Jesus? And if you're visiting here today, how does that make you feel about Jesus? You know, I can trust someone like that. With that level of humility... I mean, automatic. Could you imagine some people in our country with power and for them to just lower themselves like that for us? And to take on the dirtiest task of washing feet, bare feet, sandals, 
We read on. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, really, you're going to wash my feet? And I'm sure he he thought, he looked at Jesus' hands and he says, those same hands that you you spat on and you put mud together and you you healed the blind with those hands? You you healed people of flus and sickness and and you raised people from the dead with those hands? You're going to use those hands to wash these feet? No way. No way are you going to do that. And Jesus replied, you don't even realize what I'm doing. But later you will. Later has come for us. And it's time for us to come to understand what Jesus did here. Peter didn't understand at the time. But you and I can. We move on and jump down to verse 12. When he had finished washing all of their feet, you know, and I've had the opportunity to to do this a couple times. It it is an out-of-body experience when somebody's washing your feet. You feel it's probably harder to have your feet washed than to wash someone's feet. It's so humiliating. But when he'd done all that with the disciples, with the twelve, when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place and he sat down. And he said, uh, do you understand what I've done for you? Really? Do you understand this? He asked them, you call me teacher. You call me Lord. On different occasions, they called him Messiah. Rightly so. You should. That's who I am. You should call me Messiah. I am your Lord. I do have that authority. I have that title. Not just here, but with God. He goes on and says in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. When it dawns on you that you have entitlement, Jesus tells you what to do. Do you realize who we are in this nation? Do you realize what we have here in Southern California? Our economic level. Do you realize that you and your meager salary is more than some people will make you in one week will make in a year? Do you realize the level of, of lifestyle, convenience that you have here in the health care system that we have here in this, this country? Do you realize where we've been elevated to as a nation? Jesus tells us when it comes to you, when you understand what you've been blessed with, what you've been given, when it comes to you and you go, wow, I'm really, really blessed. I know I've got a lot of problems, but they're not that big of a deal. Jesus tells you what to do. You know, all of us have entitlement. We've been given entitlement. We've been given money, time, and influence. You have tremendous influence in your life. The question is, what will you do with it? How will you manage it? He goes on to say in verse 15, I've set you an example that 
you should do as I have done for you. You know, for Christians, this is our marching orders. This, this is our call to call to battle, call to action. When you have something, when you've received something, when you've been put in a particular position in life, when you've been given something, what will you do with it? Once the argument is over about who gets what and who has what and everything's fair and divided, now that you're entitled, what are you doing with it? How are you using your title, your blessings, your position for others? And as we said before, the question is not what we are entitled with, entitled to, but what we are doing with what we are entitled to. What are we doing? And the reputation of Christians in our country. You know, if we do this, these are the words you'll hear. You know, people outside of our church, they'll look at it. And we, if we live this out, they're going to look at our, at our lives and they're going to say, you know, I may not believe all that they believe, but I'm sure glad those Christians are in my community. Because they love and they care and they serve. You know, and I sure hope my daughter... Mary's a Christian, a real Christian, because he's going to serve her. He's going to use his title as husband. He's going to use his position as the man of the house to take care of his family, not lord it over them and exploit, but serve and provide and take care of his children and his wife. I hope my son marries a Christian woman because she's going to be using her life and her faith to be faithful to my son. You know, I sure hope I can hire a Christian. This is what people outside of our church will say when we live this out. Because we'll go in and we'll use our position, we'll use our, our place and their, their place of employment, we'll use it to benefit the whole company and to leverage what we have. And I hope I can work for a Christian boss because he's going to use his position as boss, as owner of the company to help us all and to help the community. See, that's what happens when we live this out. And, you know, one of the phrases that can be said, if people live this out, there's nothing better than a rich Christian. Because what's he going to do with all that wealth? What's he going to do with that position of influence? He will leverage it to help out those less fortunate. Those less entitled than he is. And Jesus continues in John 13, verse 16. He says, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things... You will be blessed if you do them. You know, it's one thing to have the Christian ideology. It's one thing to say, I'm a believer. It's a whole other thing to live out what you believe. Because if you live them out, Jesus is saying, if you live them out, the, the blessing is going to come on you, but that blessing that comes on you is going to extend itself to who? Other people. People that you work with. People that are associated with you. People that don't even know you. 
And guess what happens? You'll be blessed. I'll be blessed. We'll be blessed. Our nation will be blessed if we live this out. And not only we're our nation, this is God's plan. Why I believe he can and might elevate this country is because if we, just the Christians in this country, if we live this out, if we put this into practice, we'll be a blessing to the world. We already are to a great extent. And some of us don't want to give God the credit. We don't want to give the Bible the credit that when there's a disaster... What is it about the United States of America that steps forward and is the first one to open their pocketbook and help other countries like Japan when they were struck by the earthquake and the tsunami and Haiti when the earthquake hit there and when other disasters have? Why are we some of the ones first on the scene? You know where all that teaching came from? It came from our Christian roots. It's not that we're good people in and of our nature. It comes from our Christian background. Let's give God the credit. Like it or not, that's who we are, and that's why we are what we are. But what's happened in these last 20 or 30 years? We've been infected with a sickness of it's all about me. And that's why the average American gives to nonprofits between 1.5% and 3% on average to nonprofits. And it's usually the leftovers at the end of the year. So our theme, our phrase for the year, every week, every week we have this phrase in the recovery series. This is this week's recovery begins when we leverage our entitlements for the benefit of those less entitled. I'll give you two very vivid examples today. Chris and Vince. Less entitled. Outside of the promise of forgiveness, salvation, and the life teaching of how to live out a difference. They were outside. And people decided to extend a hand and say, hey, we want to help you out. And now they can leverage who they are. You know, amazing thing about Chris is he's, he's studying sound. He's a sound technician. Hello. He can leverage that education that he has to to help us with our services. And God knows we need a little bit more help every now and then. No offense, guys. No offense. He's doing doing a great job. But so it could be even better. Right? See, it's kind of awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Everything goes down, right? Somehow that came out wrong. Or maybe they heard it wrong. (laughs) But recovery begins when we can leverage our entitlements. Let me let me help you. You may feel like you're the least entitled person in this whole room. I'm just hey, I'm just I'm just a team, right? You can leverage helping your friends at school know about God. Come to a wholesome environment for fun on Friday night. Get to know some quality friends who will not stab you in the back. Right? We hope not. College students. Hey, I got nothing. I eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches 
for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I got nothing. Hey, listen, you're on the road to doing amazing things with your life. What's going to be your dreams and your ambition for when you get out of college? Do you realize your education is all a platform for what you're going to do with the rest of your life? How will you leverage what you've been given? How are you leveraging your place and time in college? You know that in those two generations, that is the most open time people are to hearing about the gospel. Statistically proven, studies have proven, that is the time and place when people are most open to hearing about God and about Jesus. Because they're searching. Once they get out and they're working and they're doing things, the door shuts a little bit. The older they get, the more it shuts. Are you using your entitlements to benefit others? Imagine how this discussion could change our nation. And I got to say this about our church. As I walked into the children's wing this morning at 830, it's cold, it's damp. And I walked into a room full of teachers. They're not their kids. They're going to teach today. They're your kids. These guys back here that I was kind of bashing on a little bit, they've been, they've been here since 7, 7 a.m. this morning. See? They get here early to leverage their Sunday morning, their day off, their sleep-in day, which some of us kind of got both ways. We got our sleep-in day and we got here to church just in time. For the lesson. Miss the baptisms. Look at what look around you. And I'm so proud of our church. There's so many people that are leveraging their life, their position, their place to make sure that other people. And here is the breakdown. Four areas. Time. Money. Gifts. The ones that you have that God gave you. And number four, influence. It's your time. It's yours. You can do with that with whatever you want with your time. You can chill. You can use it the way you want. How about if Jesus' teaching came into your life and you decided, I'm going to take some of my time and I'm going to leverage it so that other people who are less entitled than I am, so they can benefit from it. Weeknights. When you're exhausted and you're tired, how about a little time to meet up with somebody in the church or out of the church to help them grow in their faith? Money. You know, and and whenever you hear money, people suspect, they go, well, yeah, the preacher, he just wants the money because he's got a fat check and he's got to make sure. Let me tell you, we've got a financial committee in place that determines my salary. I'm not getting any raises depending upon how the contribution goes. Doesn't happen that way. Doesn't work that way. They won't let it. But I want to see our church do so much more. You know, we've, we've seen some incredible progress in the last couple of years, but we want to see a lot more. 
You know, I've had discussions with different members and they're like, yeah, we need to have somebody that maybe can be, you know, part time oversee our children's educational program for Sunday school. So they'll have time to go over curriculum and, and run the thing. We need somebody part time to do that. Maybe we need somebody to do part time, you know, production for our service so that everything can be printed out and in order and everything runs smoothly. And we. What, what about all these positions? Hire some more college students that can be interns to train for the ministry, then be sent out or to go full time in our church. So many different things that we could do. But we don't have the money. And some of you are giving generously, and I commend you for it. You're leveraging what you get. It's your money, but you're leveraging it. You're giving more than a tithe. I want to call all of us in the church to follow Jesus' teaching. You've been entitled with a lot of money. And you may have financial problems, but you giving to the church is not the reason you have financial problems. The reason you have financial problems is because the infection of greed has taken over in your life. You believe that anything that has been put into your hand is for you. And then even some that's been not put in your hand that you can borrow is for you too. And now you've got financial problems. Listen, anyone will tell you, when you adopt this teaching, the road to recovery, when you're not so fastened to your money, cutting back is a lot easier to do. When you don't have the newest, the latest, you don't have to have the shiniest. And we've seen that happen in our church. People have recovered financially and continue to tithe and give. So I want to call every member of this church, starting this year, To give a tithe. That means 10% of what you bring home off the top to God for His church. So I don't know about that. Well, just go back to Jesus. What did He give? Did He give 10%? No, I don't think He gave 10%. I think He gave 100%. I think He gave it all. And God's not asking for all of it. He's not walking, asking for us to walk around in sandals and a cloak. He's just saying, give, give me the first fruits. Give me a portion so we can benefit those around us. So we can see more people like Chris and Vince get baptized. And we can see, have more events like this past weekend that mostly are driven by volunteers anyway. But we want to see the church thrive using our gifts. You know, some of you have tremendous gifts and you're not leveraging them. You're just a member of our church. It's not going to do it. You can do more with what you have. You've been blessed. Use your gifts. Ask around. Some of you could lead small groups. But you're sitting around letting someone else do it. Why? You got that. Some of you in the area of influence, God has put you in a place that you can have a life that can shine. You know, we got to talk about this. God has already given us so much. And in the tough economy, we can be brighter. We can shine so much brighter in this tough economy when we have compassion and willing to do things. And, you know, as I said, our regular contribution, the average American is giving 1.5 to 3%. Where are you at in that spectrum? More of the mega normal American, whatever's left over, a couple bucks in the plate. That's not Jesus' teaching. That's not his model. And to give consistently. If we're out of town, that you'll make it up. 
Because our, our, our financial committee is making a budget, and they want to have a budget so that they can know consistently what's going to come in, not so that it's up and down, up and down, and up and down. Decide in your heart what you can give. And it's between you and God. No one's coming after you to say, hey, you got to... No, this is, this is all volunteer, willing. And be generous with your time. And the last thing here is leverage your life. Some of us are stuck in our life. We're not growing. We're stuck. We're stuck in our marriage. Same old problems. Same old dynamic. Do you realize if your marriage went to the next level, what it would mean to your neighbors and your friends? They could look to you and say, hey, you've got answers. Can you help us? You know, we're starting in April and May, the Essential Eight. These are foundational teachings, eight essential teachings to build our marriage. And some people have looked at the essential eight and gone, hmm, we did that last year. Really? You know, we need to sit down and talk. Because I have a feeling one of the eight, there might be one of the eight that's still needed in your life. Or maybe eight of the eight. See, because you won't know until you get in the group and you start going through the pages and you start having the conversations and then you realize... I got a lot of stuff I can change in my marriage. And it's not pointing the finger. It's inspiration. You got this. You can be this. Let's help each other. Continue to grow in your marriage, in your family, and in your example. You don't have to be married to be an example. You can be a life. That is a light. In conclusion, before we take the communion, I want to encourage all of us to leverage what we've been given. And stop holding back. We can help our country. We can help our community recover. If we'll just live out what Jesus taught right here in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, even the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Jesus did with his position. All authority, all power in heaven and on earth. He took that, disrobed himself, and died like a criminal. So you can be forgiven. So I can be forgiven. What will we do now as followers of Him? Will we disrobe ourselves of our titles, of our positions, and say, how can I serve? How can I help? What can I do so our community, so our neighborhoods can be blessed? People look at us and they go, wow, I'm so glad he's my neighbor, she's my neighbor. Hey, let me just say this. We all got to work on this. Okay, I include myself. So let's get about it. Let's do this. Are you with me? Jesus gave his life to ransom us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your teaching that comes from Jesus. And we're, we're praying today, God, that you'll help us to live out what Jesus talked about. We ask you, God, to... Forgive us for the ways that we have walked around entitled. 
And we pray that you'll help us, God, to put into practice what Jesus taught. Thank you so much that he came here to die for us. That he poured out his blood, his life. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spat upon. So that we would not have to suffer what we deserved. God, forgive us for our sins. And give us a new beginning this week. So we can leverage what you've given us to help others that have less. We pray, God, that you'll help us and forgive us. Bless this communion as we take it in the memory of Jesus and his body and blood that were poured out for us. Thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.